Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the first week of our new series on Matthew 13 called Pearls and Weeds. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. We're continuing in a study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to Matthew chapter 13, which is really the whole chapter is focused on parables. And this morning, we're going to look at probably one of the longest parables, the longest sections. It's a, a, a long passage, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. And uh, so I'd encourage you to get your Bibles open, to open it up, to open it to that passage, and keep it open throughout our time this morning so you could follow along with us. We're going to start by reading the passage. And again, it's a, it's a really long passage, so stay with us. And um, you know, not only it starts with a parable and then some explanation about why Jesus is telling parables and then explaining what the parable means. But let me start Matthew chapter 20, 13, starting in verse one. Uh, Jesus writes, or we're told, I'm sorry, went ahead. The same day Jesus went out uh, the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes are closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and many righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one who was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. 
May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of this time, the opportunity that we have to come and to be able to dive into your word, these great truths. Father, thank you for what you continue to teach me. And I pray now that you get me out of the way, Father, that your spirit speaks through me and in spite of me. Father, help us to hear each one. Father, that even in this parable teaches that we cannot understand apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that that spirit would work in each one of our lives this morning to help us understand and to apply and to, um, to take in deeply these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, every once in a while, there's a survey done about Americans and religious beliefs and convictions. And, and, um, and, and a lot of these, we hear about news reports about how they're changing uh, religious identity of Americans. And so 1990, only about 30 years ago, 90% of Americans identified themselves as Christians. Whereas just last year, or actually 2021, that number dropped down to 63% of Americans that identified themselves as Christians. And with that decrease, there's an increase of those that consider themselves nuns, those that don't identify as any religion. Now, I'm not gonna talk about the increase of the nuns. What I actually wanna take a moment to ask you to think about is, are you surprised that 63% of Americans still identify themselves as Christians. I mean, let me ask it in a different way. Would you say that on an average day that two out of every three people you interact with would seem to share the same faith and commitment to Christ as you do? Um, I don't know about you, but that's not my experience. And, and so it really causes us to ask a question. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, what about these people that claim to be Christians? If I think if I were to go to two-thirds of the people and ask them, you know, are you Christian? They said, yes, well, what does that mean? I think I'd get a whole lot of different responses. You know, some people might say, well, I was born a Christian, or, or you know, I had this experience where I went up forward, or I went to a class and someone told me I was a Christian, or, or somebody wouldn't, might say, well, I have the right beliefs. And, but we have to ask, what does it mean to really be a Christian? And is it possible that a person can think that they're a Christian and may not really be one? Is it possible to attend church and not really be a Christian? Is it possible to like Jesus and his, his teaching and, and not really be a follower of him? Now, as we look at the passage and we're, we're looking at here in Matthew 13, we're gonna see that, that this is a time in Jesus' ministry where his ministry was expanding, where there were all these people that were going to, you know, coming out to hear him and, and they, were, they, they were identifying with him. They liked what he said. And, but instead of celebrating, boy, my ministry is going, Jesus confronts them with a parable. A, a parable that, that basically said, okay, everybody who's following me doesn't necessarily have a true faith. Well, look at how Matthew describes the crowds that are coming out to see Jesus, Ma Matthew 13, one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about them so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood at the beach. It was so crowded that to create space, what he did is he got in this boat and kind of went out. You know, I think in modern day churches, sometimes you say, if you get too busy, you got the, you know, too crowded, you got the overflow room with the screen. They didn't have that, okay? So this was kind of like the, the old fashioned, old tech overflow room. Jesus went out, created a little more space so that everybody could see him and hear him. And then he tells this parable, the parable, the seed and the sower that we read just a few minutes ago. And this parable describes a scene that just about everyone who was there hearing him would have understood. They would have, they would have related to by their experience because most of them were farmers. And if they weren't farmers, they, they lived next to farmers. And they saw people doing this all the time. Now, as a farmer would go out and plant a seed, 
he would first of all prepare the soil where he wanted to plant the seed. And then what would happen is he would go out in this field and he would you know, take this, uh, this basket or sometimes you know, something like that and have all the seed there and he would scatter it. You know, it wouldn't be necessarily on these rows, but he would scatter it along the way. And, and what would happen is that he would scatter it. Some of it would fall on the footpaths. And these would be these little footpaths that would be between the fields and it would generally be very hard packed dirt. And because it was hard packed dirt, it wouldn't sink in at all. It would just, you know, actually be walked over and, and over time, you know, birds would come and, and take it away. And some of it actually fell into, you know, the rocky outcrops. You know, these were the parts of the field that, that hadn't been prepared. And generally in Palestine, there's a lot of areas that were just, you know, a couple inches of, of soil that was on top of bedrock. And so what would happen here is that the, the seed would go there and, and it might go in a little bit and it would spring up right away. But then when the sun came out, because the, the plant didn't have very deep roots, it couldn't draw moisture from the soil. And so when the sun came out, it would uh, wither away and it would die because of lack of moisture. But some of it actually went out, you know, maybe on the outside of where he was casting and, and he had prepared the field and there was some next to it that, that hadn't been prepared. And so it was that those areas were filled with, with weeds. Now, again, what we know from farming is that, you know, all kinds of soil can only you know, uh, support a limited amount of, of crops. And so what happens is the weeds generally go faster than the wheat. And over time, as it grows, it chokes out the grain, um, you, know, takes, you know, chokes it out, takes the nutrition and the water and the, and the space, and, and so it dies out. And then there are much of the grain that falls on the good soil, the soil that had been prepared. And that soil then produced the fruit, the crops that he was hoping for. And after finishing the parable, Jesus uh, ends by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, you know, we, everybody there had ears. You know, I, I think what he's saying is, you all have ears, but you're not all listening. And the idea is, we might say in our modern, modern um, um, sayings, you know, speech, we might say, don't let this go in one ear and out the other. You know, can not only hear it, but understand it. Now in this, I don't want to just even skip over this little verse because there's a challenge here that we've got to see. I think one way is that we can look at this and we could say, well, Jesus is talking about all the people that you know, reject the gospel message or the unbelievers. And what you've got to remember is the context here is that Jesus is speaking about all these people who are following him. He's speaking about these crowds that were there to hear him. All these people had left their homes. They had gone out to hear Jesus. They were identifying with him to some degree. And he's saying, okay, to these people, now I want you to listen. Why? Because he's saying, this applies to you. And I think Jesus, this is in Matthew because he's still speaking to us. And he's saying, okay, you can hear this, but I want you to not only hear it, I want you to apply it to yourself. Apply it to your own life. Now, Jesus gets, we're going to see, he explains this parable in a few minutes, but, but then he kind of takes a little, uh, verses you know, 10 through 17, which seems to be a little a deviation. And, and, and it really gets into this whole question of why does Jesus teach in parables? In the coming weeks, we're going to see through Matthew 13, it's not just that he used this one parable, but he, the whole chapter is filled with parables. It's seven parables, one after another, and, and in fact, the disciples are looking at Jesus and they're, he, they come to him in verse 10 and they said, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, we might assume that it's natural for us to think that, well, Jesus is speaking in parables because it's an illustration that makes it easier to understand. But when you look at the context of everything that's being said here, 
it's clear that this parable didn't make it easier to understand. It actually confused a lot of people. And so the disciples are looking at this and they're saying, you know, Jesus, why are you using the parables? They're basically asking, why aren't you making things more clear? You know, why are you making it easy? Why are you saying it in a way that's confusing for people? Now, here's a bit of good news. If you ever get confused by reading the Bible, if you ever get confused by a sermon, uh, you know, then you'd fit in right with the disciples because, because that's exactly what's going on here. There are times that we struggle to understand the Bible and Jesus invites us to come and ask. And, and so they're saying, Jesus, you're teaching these things and, and a bunch of us don't understand. Why don't you just make it more clear? Now, have you ever asked that? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if Jesus would just make it totally obvious to everyone? You know, wouldn't it be great that if you read the Bible and every time, you know, there was kind of like a, you know, the, almost a commentary, this is exactly what it means to you. Or, or even when we read the Bible, you know, you have people that are skeptics. Wouldn't it be great that if you open the Bible, there was kind of like an angel that popped out and said, this is true, this is true. You know, you just knew for sure that it was true. Or, or you know, when you have college kids and they go to the college class and you got that professor that starts doubting God and telling about what God, God would just, you know, put this Darth Vader death grip on him, choke grip, you know, he'd start to choke and he'd be like, okay, we know that God's word is true. That'd be great if that happened, right? You know, it's just, but that's not what happens. And so we look at that and say, in reality, we, there's parts of the Bible that seem hard to understand. There's miracles, there's people that question it. And why isn't God more clear? Why does he leave confusion? And that's what they were struggling with. That's what we still struggle with today. And, and Jesus now in verses 11 through 17 answers the disciples' questions and ours as well about why he isn't always more clear. And, and, and it's really saying it's an explanation about seeing truth. And saying, here's why, because there are certain people that can't see truth for certain reasons. And, and here's how, in a sense, we've got to prepare ourselves for speaking truth. And, and he answers them, you know, why do you speak in parables? In verse 11, he says, he answered them saying, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's something that is given. And he starts by saying that understanding spiritual truth is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we do completely on our own. And to some degree, it's saying, no, no matter how smart you are, you know, you're not gonna get this on your own. And the problem is some people are so smart, they have to get it on their own, and they can't be dependent on God to show them something that they can't see. In fact, the Bible teaches us throughout. I mean, let me give you another example that is a really clear one. In, in Matthew chapter 16, you know, Jesus had gone to his, his disciples and he'd asked them, you know, who do you say that I am? And, and we have this, you know, a famous confession of Simon Peter in verse uh, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets it right. Now, what did Jesus say then to Peter? His response to Peter was not, you know, way to go, Peter. You're right. You figured it out. You're the, you listen better than everyone else. You know, you know, you're smarter. You're the one that pays attention. No, that's not what Jesus said. Look what his response was, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Flesh and blood, your own brain. You didn't figure this out on your own. No, but my heavenly father who is in heaven. This is a spiritual, something that God has done. And what he's saying here is that apart from God showing you, you wouldn't be able to figure this out. In another place, Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say from their heart that he's Lord. No one really gets this. 
except if the Holy Spirit comes and illumines and opens up our hearts to be able to see. Why? Because there's something in us because of our sin nature that we're naturally blind. So we cannot see spiritual truth without God's help. Now let me try to even illustrate this on a smaller degree on, on other areas of life because think about this. Can you think of anyone that is so biased against someone or so biased against another group that they just can't see things clearly? No matter what the person does, no matter what the person says, it's always interpreted negatively. Good example of that? Think of politics. All right, Democrats are always gonna look at this and they're convinced that Republicans are evil. And everything that they do is not only wicked, but it shows their evil intentions. And on the other hand, you have Republicans that are convinced that Democrats are evil in the same way and, and they can never see anything positive at all. There's total bias. Or, or think on a positive side. Okay, how about the bias of love? Right, somebody who is so in love with someone that they're totally unable to see any faults in the person, even though the faults are completely obvious to everyone else that knows them. Now, here's what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching that our hearts are so sinful that we're biased in that negative sense towards God. Our sinful hearts are so jaded against God that we can be blind to evidence even when it's obvious and it's right there in front of us. And it's only by a miracle of God that God opens up our eyes so that we can see the truth about Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us that say, okay, well, I'm having a hard time believing. I'm having a hard time seeing this. Well, here's part of what I think it means. I, I love this. It's if I can't see without the Holy Spirit's help, well, when I struggle, I think the best example is the man in Mark that goes to Jesus. And this guy goes and he says, Jesus, you know, can you heal my son? You know, if, if you can. And, and, and he basically is questioning and, and look at Jesus' response to him. He says, and Jesus said to him, if you can, basically you're asking if I can do it? You know, you don't believe? All things are possible for the one who believes. And I love this guy's response, the response of the dad, because it's such a great example of our honest struggle that so many of us have and, and, and how God calls us to have come to him in the midst of that struggle. Verse 24 tells us, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, I believe as much as I can, but I know I don't, I know I have a lot of doubts, so I'm just giving you what I've got and, and take my, my little bit of belief and help where I'm falling short. See, that's what we need to do. There's many of times that we're gonna come and we're going to struggle and we're gonna say, God, I, I believe, but I don't, God, I, I'm having doubts. Give me what I don't have. And he does. Well, the first thing is that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The second reason that we can struggle, the second part of understanding truth is what he says in verse 12. Look what it says. To the one who has, uh, more will be given and he will have an abundance. For the one who does, has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now again, the context of this is he's talking about insight into the truth. And so what he's saying is that if you have some insight into the truth, and if you take that and apply it to your life, God will give you more insight to the truth. But if God gives you some truth and you reject that, then even the, the insight that God's given you, God's gonna take away. And what he's teaching here is something that that again is taught throughout the Bible, is that oftentimes understanding truth is more of a matter of our heart than it is of our head. And people will give intellectual reasons for rejecting God, of rejecting God's word, but usually in my experience, it's not that there's a lack of evidence, it's ultimately it's the condition of the heart. 
And I talk to people all the time who will tell me that they reject Jesus and they'll make me, you know, or give me these intellectual reasons. But the more that I spend time with them, the more I realize those reasons are usually just an excuse. You know, ultimately, the real reason that most people reject God is because they don't want to believe in him. They don't like his message. They're offended by the fact that Jesus points out that some of their areas are life or what he calls sin. They're offended by the idea that Jesus calls us to surrender to him and his authority. And the real problem is illustrated simply by the fact in many of these discussions is that people will give me this argument, well, here's why I don't believe in God. Well, I answer that argument. Well, here's another reason, and here's another reason. And there's never an openness because they're just excuses. See, ultimately, it's not because of the head, it's because of the heart. And again, it's not a new problem, it's an old problem. And here you have the truth of God, it's like the sun that falls, shine down, but think about it this way, the same sun that will soften the wax will harden the clay. The question isn't the truthfulness of the sun and the power of the sun, it's are we wax or are we clay? Are we hardened or are we softened? And going back to the story here, it's not now the the sun, it's the power of the seed. It's the power of the seed that is planted and and there's great power there and the question is, okay, what is the condition of our heart that receives that? So as we go back to verse 19, Jesus now begins to explain the meaning of this parable. And it's clear that what he's saying is that he's talking about the farmer is, is an example of him. He's scattering the seed. He's speaking forth the word of the kingdom of God. And there are all these people that are hearing that and he's scattering it out you know, on all these different grounds. And when he's talking about the seed, we've got to realize the seed is the Bible. It's God's truth. It's an incredible, got incredible power. Think about it this way. Think about an acorn. And you've got this tiny little seed. I could carry a bunch of acorns in my pocket and you know, they're tiny. They're, they're, they're not only that, they're fragile. I could drop one and step on it and break it, crush it. But at the same point, you can have this tiny little acorn that grows into this incredible tree. And not only that, but it grows into this tree that produces all kinds of acorns so that one little acorn over a course of time could transform a field into a force. Not only that, it's got such great power. And and many of you have seen this, that you can plant this tiny little acorn which we can stomp with our feet, but yet that it grows. And next thing you know, it's, it's splitting concrete with its roots because of its incredible power. And that's the power of God's word. It's it's got incredible power, life-giving power for those that would receive it. It's this little acorn that looks so insignificant, so much so that you can walk away from it. You could walk out on it. You could totally ignore it. And yet it's so powerful that if it's planted in your heart, it will bring change. It will grow into something that has the power to, to split addiction, to split depression, to, to break through you know, hard, hardness in, in marriage and, and heal things that nothing else could heal. And it produces in our hearts this harvest of righteousness. And some people might say, well, but isn't it just like information? It's just things that we're talking about. Yes, it is, but it's God's word. And because it's God's word, it has power. I remember back when I was a child, I had a, this book that, that I, you know, somebody gave me and I, I read it and I just, I really stuck with me. It was about this money tree and somebody had given this child this $5 bill where he somehow knew he was supposed to plant it and he planted it and it grew into this tree and instead of having leaves, it started sprouting $5 bills. Um, now, something that like an author of a child's book needs to realize is that sometimes you have a young boy with an overimagined over um, active imagination and it has a wonderful story and part of you just thinks, well, maybe it could be true. It's at least worth a try. 
I mean, I, I was the ADHD kid with the overactive imagination who was trying to catch spiders for two years, getting them to bite me, because I hoped that one of them would be radioactive. I mean, it's like, it, it happened once, right? It could happen again. And, and that's what I was thinking. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to plant a $5 bill. And, and I tried it more than once. And, and, uh, and I found you could plant it and you could tend it and then it didn't grow. And what's wrong with my $5 bill? Well, the problem is, is that there's no power in it. I mean, it's a great story, but there's no biological power. And Jesus is saying, no, you have the seed, a little acorn, a tiny seed that has incredible power. And that's the power of God's word. It has incredible power for all that would receive it and take it into our lives. Well, I love what Paul says in Romans 1. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It's not your power of salvation. It's not that it has power. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. It has great power. And the question is, is, is that power unleashed in your life? Do you see the power of God working its transformative work? Is it bearing forth fruit? So what is the difference between those who have that, who see it, and who don't? Well, that's what Jesus gets into in this parable. And he, and he says it's not only that there's a power in the seed, but then there's a difference in the, in the soil in which that seed is planted. Now, let me just ask you, a, think about this for a moment. What's the difference you know, between these different types of soil that we're talking about? In a sense, here you have Jesus. All these people are coming to hear Jesus. All of them are receiving his word, but there's different soils. And the question is, how deeply is it being brought into? Again, now think about a, a seed. I, I could have some seeds here and I can put them here on the stage and, and they could sit here you know, all year and nothing's gonna happen. They're gonna stay seeds. They're of no practical use because they have to be planted in soil. And it's only when they're planted in soil that their power is released. And not only that, but when you look at it, what then is the quality of the soil? I mean, I've planted some things that were in gardens that didn't work very well and some that have been very well. And, and here's just a basic truth. It's a basic biological truth. It's a, a spiritual truth. The exact same seed when planted in different soil will not result in the same fruit we must acknowledge that the difference in the fruit is not the fault of the seed, but of the soil that is planted in. Now we know that, we know that when it comes to gardening, but it's also true not only physical, it's also true of spiritual. And what is the seed? It's the power of God's word. The exact same seed that somebody's gonna hear it and they're gonna respond and their life has changed and someone's gonna hear the same word and not much is gonna happen. And it's not a matter of the seed, it's a matter of our heart. And so Jesus is sitting there saying, okay, now look at your own heart. And he's calling us to evaluate and said, okay, there's four different kinds of soils. There's, there's first of all that hard heart, the person that only hears with their mind. And he's describing that seed that fell on the path and, and uh, you know, the, the birds came and devoured them. He now explains it in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown on the path. And so he's talking about, again, people that are coming to hear Jesus, and they come and they hear it only with their mind. They, they hear it, and they may not, they may like it. They, they you know, they might, okay, I want to, you know, I want to try to come, and, but it never penetrates beyond thinking to the heart because he's talking about the soil as the heart. 
and understand being a, a follower of Christ doesn't mean that I just have the right beliefs, I have the right thoughts. It's mean that I've taken those thoughts and that I believe them in such a way that I apply them into my heart and I live as if they're true. And so we've got to ask ourselves that first question, okay, has the, have you ever come under the personal pre, you know, power of God's truth? You know, have you ever come where you've taken it into your heart? Is it just your beliefs that you think or is it actually something that you've taken into you so that you've applied it into your, your, into your heart, into what, what you actually live? Now, even in this, what does, there's a warning. He says that the evil one will come and snatch away what has been sown in the heart. We've got to realize that, that as we're struggling with this, Satan's going to battle against us. There's a reason that we struggle in understanding this. Well, the second type of soil is one that it's the shallow heart that hears with the emotion. Look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. As for the one that was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Okay, that's what you want to notice there. He receives it with joy. It's not just I think it. It's like, man, I, I like this. And there's a joy. There's a response. There's an emotion there. And yet we read verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So there's a there's a there's a joy. There might even be a sense of, here's how Jesus changed my life. Here, come hear him. And, and so there's a response. There seems to be fruit for a little while. There seems to be something there. But they're shallow. Why? Because there's joy. And the joy is often, I like this. I think this can make a difference in my life. And what happens with the sun? When persecution, when tribulation, when hardship, when, when the sun comes out, in a sense, the roots aren't very deep, and what, what is he talking about? At those times, suddenly, why do I accept it? Because I like it, because I think it can help me, because there is an emotion. And suddenly when the emotion is gone and I don't see it helping me, uh, what use is this? And I thought if I followed Jesus that my life would be better, that he would fix all my problems. I prayed and he didn't answer my prayer. You know, there was this emotional experience. There was something that drew me initially, but ultimately I think when you look at these, these people, they often want, a blesser, not a savior. They want somebody that's gonna make them feel good and make their life better, and there's an emotional response because for a while I believe that, but when life gets hard or when God calls me to actually give up something and sacrifice and see that emotional commitment falls apart. Now, is that you? There might be some people here to say, yeah, I remember that when I walked the aisle, when I did this, and when God... And, and you just don't have that walk with God now. And is it because your embrace of him was only skin deep in a sense? It was emotional, but it was never at the depth of the heart. Well, the third type of soil that he talks about is the weedy heart that is divided and distracted. Look what he says in verse 22. As for what was sown amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now again, you know, this was one that seems to receive it and there's, there seems to be something there. There's an acceptance. And, but what happens is, is it begins to take root. But over time, when he talks about the weeds, it's not that they ever reject the word, but there are other things that start to become more important. 
the cares of the world. I'm more concerned about God. I'm so, you know, suddenly, well, I go to church. Well, but we've got to do this over the summer. Boy, this is our tradition. Or, you know, we've gotten a sports, you know, the football, I've got, I've got season tickets and that's more important. And, and you know, traveling league or, you know, well, well I want to spend time with God, but, but I never have time. And suddenly I have these other things that are more important. And whereas I want to believe God, he's just not that high a priority. And these other things are like weeds that grow up around us. They become more important and they soak up our energy. They soak up our time. They soak up everything that we are so that in time our, our spiritual life just kind of withers away. And it's not that these things are necessarily wrong. It's, there may be things that aren't necessarily wrong, but it's they become priority and they distract us away from God. Well, the last type of soil is what he talks about in, in, in verse 23. It's the receptive heart that produces spiritual fruit. And for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. And the basic thing is to say, okay, this is someone who receives it, and we not only bring it in, and, what, and how do you know? Because there's fruit, there's changed life. And it's talked, what is this fruit? Well, you can go to Galatians and it describes it as the fruit of the spirit, that we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. We have these, these changed life. Our character is different. It changes who we are. It changes, how, it changes our priorities. It changes the way that we live. That's how you can tell. And again, what you've got to re- remember is that the seed is always powerful. The seed has the ability to grow the great tree, the, the, you know, to crack concrete, to do all these things. And the thing is, is how do I know that I have the seed? Am I, is my life bearing fruit? The people around me, they can see, you're different because you walk with Christ. And at the end of the day, I might come and I might say, if that's not true of me, then what this, this parable is challenging me is to say, well, maybe I really haven't fully embraced Christ at the true level of my heart. You see, ultimately, this whole parable, Jesus is speaking to people who had come to hear him, people that were followers. And he's calling us to evaluate the soil of our own heart. He's basically saying, examine yourself to discover which group you belong in. And the thing is that I might come to God, I might come and follow him, and I might like Jesus, and he's saying, okay, what kind of soil do you have? You know, are you the soil that you just like it, but it really isn't changing here at all? Are you you the one that's had the emotional experience, and when things are good, you're all there with God, and when things are bad, you're not? Or are you the one that, you know, that again, you're, man, I'm there, but man, I'm just so easily distracted. And in reality, God is a priority once in a while, but so often it's the cares of the world just choke it out and I forget it. And, and he says, no, God, I, I, I want to make you the priority. And it's a challenge not to condemn those of us that are in one of the three first areas of soil, but it's to say, be honest about it yourself and where you really are. And if I am there, then what do I do? Okay, let's go back to the whole picture here. When you think about that, if the problem, it's not the seed, the seed is the same, the seed is powerful, the problem is the soil. How do you change the soil? Can soil change itself? No. The way that we change the soil, bad soil only can be fixed by the gardener. And that's where you get back into the gospel. 
in the gospel of just saying, okay, I hear the message of Jesus, and if I realize that I really am not bearing that fruit, if my life isn't really that committed, or if, I'm, if maybe I've, I've been there before and I've had the emotional experience, but man, I've just kind of lost it, and I've, I've been angry with God because he's not been doing what I expect him to do, or boy, so many things are just choking me away, and I've just been so distracted, whatever it would be. At the end of the day, that's where I come to Jesus, and I say, God, I ask you, to, this is who I am, I ask you to forgive me. Here's my belief, help my unbelief. God, here's my soil, change my soil. See, it's only the gardener who has the ability to change the soil, to make us, to prepare us in a sense so that we have that receptive heart that is able to receive and, and, and to implant deeply so that the power of the gospel has that transformative impact in, in our lives. And again, there may be some of you here who say, man, that's, what I, that's where I am. And some would be like, that's where I've been. And, and you re- just realize, okay, there, maybe I've let weeds grow in. Maybe there have been things that have grown up into who I am that have become distractive. And maybe today is a day of, God, I need you to do some weeding. Or maybe for some, it would, might be to say, boy, I've just never really fully embraced the way that I, that I thought. I've even talked to people, you know, there's several people this week that talked about the faith that they had way back when and, and uh, you know, and, and they're visiting church and, they're, and it's like, boy, they remember what they had 10, 15, 20 years ago. Is there something that is real? And today may be the day that we come and say, God, here's my soil, here's my belief, help my unbelief. I, I want you to do something deeper and richer I want to bring who I am and ask you to, to work in me in such a way that you do that kind of transformative work through the power of your word. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.